Our scripture today is uh, Luke 24, verses 1 to 12. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his eleven disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. I got my wife to read the scripture this morning. She agreed not to preach the sermon. (laughs) Although she would have done well doing that. What an awesome morning to be together. To celebrate and uh, to give thanks for the one who changed the course of history. Uh, The one who divided history. The years before Christ and the years after Christ, B.C. and A.D., And the one who ushered in a whole new way to come to God and uh, allow us to experience purpose and significance and real fulfillment in life. It's wonderful uh, to have you here this morning. It's wonderful to see the church full and back uh, in the foyer. And uh, you might be visiting this morning perhaps from out of town, enjoying time with your family. Uh, You know, it's just it's just great, though, to be together this morning. And uh, I, I have a consolation for you. If the sermon is a little bit uh, bore, boring this morning, you at least have a wonderful Easter brunch that is yet to come. And it won't be a total wipeout. Uh, so you don't want to miss that. And I'm sure that uh, some of you have already done some egg hunting in your home. Uh, We have uh, great memories in our home of finding those Easter eggs. And Marg hid them for the kids. But the one thing I noticed about Marg through the years is that she was never too tough. Uh, uh, If I hid them, they were tough to find. But for her, she was a softie. She put on the song, Mission Impossible, and uh, released the kids through the house to find those tasty little chocolate eggs. Probably took us half a day to put the house back together again, but they had a lot of fun. 
Well, I, I just have one verse this morning to launch from, and it is the pivotal verse of the Easter story found in Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, the passage that Mark read, uh, and it's verse 6. And it's, it really is the heart of this great event in history. And it reads, He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. And you remember the story that the women went to the graveside early in the morning, early Sunday morning. They were, they were stunned. They were bewildered because they expected to run up against a huge problem. And that would have been their inability to get that big stone rolled away. Um, but the stone was rolled away, and much to their dismay, they encountered two men who were clothed in dazzling robes. And you remember the question, why are you looking for the, for the dead? Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. So, folks, it all comes down to the third day. Let me finish the sentence of the angels. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. The third day. It all comes down to the third day. What are the implications of the third day that impact the whole world? And all of history. One of the significant people in my life uh, lost his fervor for the Christian faith. He still believed, but he did not believe as he did before. His life had fallen on hard times because he was unfaithful in his relationship to his spouse. And uh, since he was an influential individual at a seminary, no less... This forced him to change his theology. When you're struggling to walk with God, you either have to change your theology or you have to change your life. And he wasn't prepared to change his life at that point, so he changed his theology and notably he began to seriously question the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And, of course, that's the core. That is the pivotal truth of all Scripture right there. A German theologian by the name of Wolfhart Pannenberg once said that the evidence for Jesus' resurrection is so strong that nobody would question it except for two things. First, it is a very unusual event. And second, if you believe it happened, you have to change the way you live. You will know that when we speak of the resurrection, there have been some who have suggested that Jesus didn't really die, that he was simply near to death with all the beating and the scourging and the crucifixion, but he was not dead, dead, and he recovered. Some have simply used the word he was resuscitated, not resurrected. Anyone who is resuscitated is brought back to life again. That's why we carefully give our directives, don't we, when, when we come to die. We make sure it's clear in our will. Some of us would say no heroic measures, which means if I'm gone, I'm gone. You can take off the machines. 
Let me go home and be with Jesus. And I'm okay with that. C.S. Lewis expressed his great sympathy for Lazarus, uh, who Jesus brought back to life. C.S. Lewis said it was very hard on Lazarus because he had to do his dying all over again. I never really thought of that. But the poor guy had to die twice. But Jesus didn't. We're talking not about his survival, nor about his resuscitation, but about his resurrection. God performed a dramatic act by which he arrested the process of death. He rescued Jesus out of the realm of death, and he transformed his body into a new body, a resurrected body, an immortal body, never to die again. And that's something that had never happened before. But there's coming a day when our bodies will be resurrected. And our bodies will be very much like the body of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be given new bodies. That's amazing. We'll be given new bodies. We'll recognize one another. And they will be resurrected bodies. I got a kick out of a pastor who said, I loved our Easter pageant. One of the nights I sat behind a five-year-old boy who was just enthralled. And when the crucifixion scene took place, he got real quiet. But when Jesus came back from the grave and there was a sense, a song of celebration, his eyes lit up and he looked at his mother and he said, He's alive, Mom! And he began to spontaneously clap. And he hugged his mom around the neck. And the pastor said, just sitting behind him, it was fun to see somebody understand the resurrection for the first time, to really get it. And a youth pastor was in that conversation, and he said, I want to tell you what happened in our church. We showed a cartoon video of the crucifixion and resurrection to our kindergarten students. And when Jesus was buried, one little boy who knew the story very well turned to a buddy and said, just stay calm. He's dead now, but he'll be back. <laughs> he knew the story. seen it many times. He's dead now, but he'll be back. And Jesus Christ came back. He strolled out of that tomb very much alive. And when the women went up to the tomb to anoint his body, they discovered the tomb was empty. And the angel said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen just the way he said that he would. Now, the implications of the third day, what are they? The first one is confidence. We have confidence. Confidence in what? Well, confidence that Jesus said what he said about himself is absolutely true. That who he claimed to be is absolutely true. Now, remember the Apostle Paul was sounding this note as well when he wrote to the Corinthian church, and it would seem like the issue of the resurrection was under review. And here's what Paul said, But tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, well, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. It seemed to be very important to Paul to remind his friends in Corinth that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the hinge of history. 
In Mark chapter 10, verse 34, Jesus says, They will mock and flog and kill me, but after three days I will come back to life. And he said this. He was giving notice months, even a couple of years before the cross. I don't know. This year I seemed more aware than ever before of how often Jesus kept trying to bring his disciples into the loop with the information that he was going to die and be raised again. But if you follow along in the Gospels, it just seems like Jesus got shut down every time he talked about that. It's like, we're not listening, we don't think that's too important. And finally, Peter rebukes Jesus for those kind of comments and says, Lord, don't say things like that. Let's not talk that way. But the cross was no surprise to Jesus. It was all part of God's plan. And when you think about it, really there's humor in the Easter story. I mean, how would you feel if you had been the guys who put Jesus to death? You publicly execute this man in front of thousands of witnesses. It was Passover. And so there were, there were thousands of people there. And, and you have him buried. And you put a stone over his tomb. And you, you put out a 24-hour guard. And three days later, this guy's up and walking around the city again. It was like, Really? The angel said, don't be frightened. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, but he isn't here. He's come back to life again, just as he said he would. And so this gives us great confidence that 2,000 years ago, our Savior rose from the dead. It is the uniqueness of the Christian faith that God's not dead. He's alive. God's not dead. He's alive. And apparently there's a movie that's showing these days in a downtown theater, and people are, have been coming to me and saying it's just a, an outstanding movie, and it's called God's Not Dead, which is an apologetic for the existence of God. So it might be worth your time to see that while it's still here. There's confidence in knowing that this man who came to earth 2,000 years ago, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, the Apostles' Creed. And this is our Savior. He is who he claimed to be. So the implication of the third day is confidence that this Savior is who he claimed to be. The, the second implication of the third day is forgiveness. Forgiveness. In this crazy, busy world of ours, we sometimes forget that it's not all about the TSX or the Dow Jones or profit and losses. It's not all about remodeling the house. It's not all about the next degree that we're, we're after. It's not about the next trip that we're planning. No. There are far more basic issues that lie at the very core of our lives. And when we miss them, we pay a very huge price. And one of the biggest issues of life is the message of forgiveness. We're built in such a way that we can't live without it. It's one of the best gifts that we could ever receive. As one psychiatrist said, I could dismiss half my patients tomorrow if they could be assured of their forgiveness. 
Some have tried to dismiss their need for forgiveness because they just say, well, you know, you, you don't know who you're talking to. I just tell it like it is. That's just me. I, I get what I want in life. I don't care who I walk over. I don't care what you think. And a result, as a result of that, there are a lot of train wrecks through life. Sometimes we have said things or thought things or done things. You know, and we, when we stand back from it a long ways, we are deeply saddened by our response, by our actions, by our words. To say it boldly, we're ashamed. I'm embarrassed. I'm so embarrassed about that. I was so wrong. I hurt others so much. It was Mark Twain who once said, Man is the only animal that blushes and the only animal that needs to. It's a good quote. We all need forgiveness. We've all fallen short of God's expectations. We're embarrassed for our past. This past week, five young university students were murdered in Calgary, close to one of our churches, Brentview Baptist Church. I mean, no one knows the motive. Whatever happened, whatever happened, that he would do such a thing and that he would have to carry this now for the, for the rest of his life. And I turn on the news and I look at what happened with the captain of the ferry who the ship sunk, the, the ferry sunk off the coast of Korea. And he was one of the first ones off the ferry. And, and what he has to carry now for the rest of his life. The Boston bombing was one year ago, and what a tragedy. And the remaining suspect will soon come to trial. And imagine the hatred and animosity against that remaining uh, person, because if you were one of the victim's families, you hate what he did to your family member. We look back and we say, well, how could I have? And we, we can live in our shame for the rest of our lives, or we can find freedom. And when we find the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ, we found freedom, no matter what we've done. Amazing freedom. And Jesus said to people during his short earthly visit, Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. What a gift he gave to people. In the upper room, when they gathered around the table and he gave them the cup, he said, this cup is my blood which is shed for many for the forgiveness of sin. I mean, if Jesus would not have risen from the dead, we wouldn't be sure if his blood was sufficient for our sins. We might just as well prepare ourselves that we'll spend the rest of our lives in the penalty box, weighed down in guilt and shame. But his resurrection gave the support the power to the words, your sins are forgiven. Look, I'm alive. Look, I conquered the, the grave. And when I say your sins are forgiven, I back that up with my risen life. So the implications of the third day is that you can truly be forgiven. And that's amazing. You can start again. That's good news. Have you ever been halfway through a project and somehow wished you could scratch it, and start all over again. A lot of times people feel that way about life. 
they get halfway through life and wish they could start over. We've all done things that we wish we hadn't done. We've said things that we wish we hadn't said. We've thought things that we wish we wouldn't have thought. And we all have regrets. We all feel badly about things. We, we all have guilt. But when Jesus rose from the grave, he brought into existence the reality of freedom by offering us forgiveness. By offering us forgiveness. You no longer have to be weighed down with the guilt of sin. I mean, there's no better gift than anyone could give than the gift of forgiveness. And to think that I can be forgiven of my past. Everything in my past can be taken care of. And in fact, everything in the present can be taken care of. And anything that I do in the future, by the grace of God, can be forgiven. It's an astronomical gift. It's, it's amazing. And if you came this Easter morning filled with embarrassment, filled with shame, filled with guilt, you don't need to walk out the door the same way you walked in. Because Jesus Christ, by his resurrection, offers you a wonderful gift. No strings attached. A gift for you to receive. He wants to forgive your past. He wants to cancel every debt that you owe. Emotional debts. Relational debts. Whatever it is. And he offers to each of us the gift of forgiveness. And he will stamp on your debt paid in full by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, verified by the resurrection. I don't know how you pay your bills uh, from month to month. Uh, Epcor and TELUS and Bell and Direct Energy and all those bills that come to our, our door. You might pay them online. Maybe you go to the bank. Maybe you go right to the business itself and make a payment. One thing I know, though, as soon as I make the payment, I forget about it because it's paid. I don't remember it anymore because it's paid. I don't think about it. I don't mull it over. You don't need to worry about a paid bill because it's done. It's taken care of. And that's how it is with God. When you have brought that sin before him, when you've asked for forgiveness and you've asked Jesus to take control of your lives, your sin has been taken care of. And he stamps it forgiven. And it is forgotten. And what a blessed gift that is. You can walk out of here this morning knowing that every single thing you've ever done wrong up until this point is completely forgiven. That's good news. No condemnation. He came to forgive us. So that's the implication of the third day. Forgiveness. Confidence and forgiveness. And let me also say as well that the implication of the third day is future. We're all concerned about the future. If you're younger, you're thinking about your career, your marriage, your family, your next steps. We sometimes forget when we're younger to process the inevitability of death because, well, we're younger. But you know, death is no respecter of ages. This week, Jim Flaherty, 
our former finance minister was laid to rest. And I love the sense of appreciation for Mr. Flaherty. From all political stripes and from Canadians, uh, he really was appreciated. And Thursday uh, was also the memorial service for Patty and Nathan's mom in Ontario, who was taken so very quickly. It seems like we've just had a lot of reminders of death in these last few weeks. And it's something that we all think about because everybody dies. I'm going to die, and so are you. And why would we chance going through life getting ready for everything else but not death? Well, because I don't need to think about that right now Uh, because it's too hard to think about that because it's a tough topic because I don't know what to think about it and I would sooner ignore it. So uh, it's one of those things I just kind of move it aside and I'm not going to deal with that. They asked some children to write some sentences about death. And one little girl wrote, When you die, you don't have to do your homework in heaven unless your teacher is there too. And one little guy said, A good doctor can help you so you don't die. A bad doctor sends you to heaven. (laughs) Well, we're grateful for our doctors and the work they do, and none of our doctors intentionally send people to heaven. We're all preparing for the future. Someone said, imagine that we're all in preschool, and life on earth is simply preschool. We're getting ready to move into our more permanent classroom where we will be with the Lord forever. But we're just getting ourselves ready here in preschool. Just getting to know Christ. But we will spend forever with him. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. We're getting ready for heaven. And, you know, we seem to try to find different ways to get there. Sometimes you hear the comment, just be sincere. It doesn't really matter what you believe. Just be sincere. And that'll get you there. And I think we all know that we've all made some sincere mistakes. Sometimes we catch people in a flurry of activity and the bottom line is that in order to please God, we feel like we have to perform for Him. Uh, present to Him a lot of the things we've done. Lord, look at what I've done. I've done this and this. I work here. I work there. I really just serve so well. But the Bible says that our good works are like filthy rags. So He doesn't want us to bring our performance plan and stand before Him one day and say, well, look, look, at, look at what I've done. Some use the deprivation plan. I will not do certain things, and that will earn me merit. I I don't do that. I don't go there. I don't say that. I'm really really quite cloistered in this area of my life, so I don't get myself in trouble. Some think if I'm baptized, become a member of a church, that that will bring me to heaven. But that's not what gets us to heaven. Some think, well, because I'm born in Canada, I'm automatically a Christian. Not many think that, uh, a few. Or some think, I was born into a Christian family. Therefore, I'm part of the family grouping that goes to heaven. Or some actually think, well, 
I must be going to heaven compared to that other guy. Look at how he or she lives. And I, I would say that I'm higher on the acceptance totem pole than they are. But do you know the biblical answer to our future? To our acceptance into heaven one day? It's in 1 Peter 1.3. It is by his great mercy that we've been born anew. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that's kept in heaven for you. Pure and undefiled. Beyond the reach of change and decay. Ah, we have a future. Why? Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. I close with uh, one of my favorite stories. uh, From a fellow named Ron Dunn. Ron is a writer itinerant pastor went home to be with the Lord a few years ago but he tells the story that he uh, took his young son to a carnival one time for his birthday and his son picked six boys to go with him so Ron bought a roll of tickets and every lineup they'd come to he'd pull off seven tickets and he'd give them to the kids and one for himself And then when they got to the Ferris wheel, all of a sudden, there was an eighth little kid with his hand out. And Ron said, who are you? And the kid said, I'm Johnny. Well, Ron said, who are you, Johnny? Well, Johnny said, I'm your son's new friend. And he said, you'd give me a ticket if I just came and asked for it. And Ron asked, do you think I gave him one? Absolutely. When you get to heaven, you'll say, God, I can't get in on my own effort. The only way I can get into heaven is because I'm a friend of Jesus Christ. John 17, 3 says, this is the way to have eternal life. By knowing the only true God in Jesus Christ, the one he sent to earth. Jesus has already paid your way to heaven. Have you picked up your ticket? Have you said yes to Jesus Christ? Have you you given your whole life to him? The implication of the third day. Confidence, forgiveness, and future. Would you bow with me for just a moment, please? Maybe you're not sure you'd go to heaven if you died. Would you pray something like this in your heart this morning? Jesus Christ, I'm not sure that I really know you, but I want to. I'm asking you to save me today. I'm asking you to come into my life today and give me confidence and forgiveness and a future with you. I'm putting my total trust in you, and I want to follow you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Help me to understand it even more. Maybe others of you have drifted away from Christ. And God wants to say to you, with deep love, I draw you back. Would you say this morning, Jesus Christ, I'm coming home this morning. I want to regain that relationship that I knew before. I want to make things right. I want to put first things first in my life. And finally, I'm sure... Some of you here this morning are kind of barely hanging on. Perhaps you've been discouraged and depressed and 
if you could see the stresses of life and my life, it would overwhelm you as well. But God brought you here on Easter Sunday morning so he could say to you, give it all to me. Let go and let me work in your life. Would you say, Jesus Christ, I want to give you these problems that I'm facing. I want to give you my life, the good, the bad, the ugly. And I pray you'd fill me with your hope and your presence and your power in Jesus' name. God bless you as you consider your response to the risen Lord Jesus Christ.